12 years ago, we bailed out the crooks on Wall Street. Now it is their turn to help the working families in this country. And together, we are going to end the international embarrassment of the United States of America, our great country, being the only major country on earth not to guarantee health care to all people. Welcome to the Political Notebook podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. After winning this past weekend in Nevada, Bernie Sanders is now the undisputed frontrunner of the Democratic presidential race, heading into South Carolina this Saturday and Super Tuesday in two weeks. So I want to talk about uh, how Bernie got to this point, what a Bernie Sanders nominee might mean uh, for Arizona elections this upcoming year, both uh, in down-ballot races and possible ballot initiatives like Invest in Ed. And then there is a, a bill working through the state legislature that Rob Rob has said, if passed, would be the most important thing done this session to improve the trajectory of Arizona. So we'll talk about what that bill is and why he thinks it's so important. But for most of this uh, past year, uh, Joe Biden was, was nominating, uh, was dominating in the national polls. Uh, but in the, in the wake of uh, the impeachment trial, Biden's numbers took a, a nosedive while uh, kind of Bernie took advantage and, uh, and his numbers started to rise, leading into victories in New Hampshire and uh, Nevada. And although Ukraine didn't uh, end up opening the investigation into Joe Biden uh, during the impeachment proceedings, Republicans responded by, you know, incessantly hammering Joe Biden uh, and, and calling for Hunter Biden to testify during the trial. How much do you think that the impeachment trial torpedoed Biden's campaign? Um, was that a big factor? Or do you see other factors as being more important to uh, why why Bernie? sunk and, and, or why Biden sunk and Bernie has risen uh, to be the front runner? I, I think certainly the focus on uh, Ukraine and um, the uh, continuation of Joe Biden serving as the Obama administration's point man on Ukrainian corruption at the same time uh, that his son was being paid large sums of money to sit on the board of directors of a company headed by someone who had been investigated for corruption, uh, tarnished a little bit of um, Biden's um, brand. Uh, his own uh, stumbles on the campaign trail, I think, uh, contributed as well. So I think it was a combination of factors uh, that, uh, kept Biden from consolidating uh, his position in the national polls. I think the rise of Sanders uh, was driven more by the implosion of Elizabeth Warren uh, than it was by the stumbles of Joe Biden. Uh, Sanders and Warren were splitting the um, hard progressive vote. Uh, Warren, <laughs> paradoxically, by answering a question that Sanders has consistently refused to answer, 
how do you pay for Medicare for all? <laughs> she tried to answer. Her, her, her answer went over like a lead balloon. And um, she's pretty well collapsed as a candidate, which has allowed Sanders to consolidate that vote. Um, he's still, you know, only about, he's in the 20s. And, and I think it's more a consolidation of the progressive vote behind him that allows him to compete with Biden as Biden's numbers have collapsed from mostly self-inflicted wounds. There's a lot of commentary right now drawing comparisons between Sanders' campaign uh, right now and, and the Trump 2016 campaign, people calling it you know, hostile takeover of a, of a political party. It, but you can kind of see it you know, sort of as an extension of, of populism uh, in a way. I mean, Trump's reacting against the political elites in that same year, Biden uh, or uh, uh, Sanders, uh, Bernie Sanders was su- successful, didn't end up winning the nomination, but was successful at raising the populist, uh, you know, crit- critiques uh, that of Hillary Clinton and, and of the, the political elites of the time. Um, in the wake of the financial crisis and, um, you know, the talking points of big banks getting, getting bailouts when, when Wall Street or when Main Street and the ordinary working families are, are, are footing the bill. On top of the Iraq war uh, disaster and, and, you know, it's seen as a, as a blunder that Bernie Sanders voted against uh, the Iraq war. Um, and, you know, we're still in a war, you know, 18 some years later when you know the Afghanistan papers that were released disclosed that the American people have been you know deliberately misled about you know the 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 facts about about the war so is is this just another natural extension of the populist revolt that we're seeing uh, and is that is that the comparison that should be drawn rather than you know intra-party battles um, it's it's both, and and certainly um, Trump's rise was driven by um, populism on the right. Sanders's rise is driven by populism on the left, uh, and there are on some issues an overlap. Um, the bailout of the banks was unpopular in both the popular populist left camp and the populist right camp. Um, beyond that, I don't think that there I, that there's a lot of commonality or that it's driven by uh, the same factors. Populism on the right is um, is fueled in significant part by a reaction against identity politics on the left. Identity politics is um, part of the heart and soul of the. Um, populism on the left. Uh, there's support for free enterprise uh, among the populist uh, right, uh, just not for corporate welfare. Uh, there's a desire to completely uh, re-engineer the American economy on the populist left. So I think they are generally two distinct phenomenon. Uh, but it is certainly true that the energy in American politics today is in populism on both the right and the left. Can that be explained by the same phenomenon and, and, and just 
sort of uh, taking on different shapes or would there be different because we're seeing pop you know populist movements not just in america but in different parts of the world right now is that um are, is that the same kind of reaction just being it's kind of taking on different shapes in in the left or the right is it is it fair to to look at common features like you know the the war and the in the financial crisis as as a as the cause of both of those offshoots of populism the the, the two share the view um that uh, politics as usual in Washington in specific no longer works for the average person. Um, but I do think that they, that it's more useful to view them as separate phenomenon uh, rather than part of the same movement. And looking globally, most of the um, rise in populism, for example, in Western Europe has been on the left, um, that you really haven't seen something comparable to the populism on the left that is driving Sanders. But that's in part because Western Europe has already adopted the policies, for the most part, uh, that Sanders wants our country um, to adopt. So what populism on the left is trying to achieve in the United States um, is known as uh, not democratic socialism, but um, being social democrats mm -hmm. uh, in Western Europe. Uh, and um, for the most part, it's been the dominant political force uh, in Western Europe for many years. You now are seeing that begin to erode. Um, but uh, I think that may explain why you're not seeing in Western Europe the same rise of left-wing populism that you're seeing in the United States. And you could also draw maybe some comparisons with you know, Great Britain and the Brexit and, and the recent Boris Johnson conservative victory. But I think you could also say that Donald Trump might, might not be you know, as, as disciplined in, in campaign messaging that Boris Johnson was in in Great Britain, um, and there's let's let's kind of switch gears because even though there's a lot of conversation out there about you know whether nationally Sanders or Trump um, would would win, that's a little bit different than what might happen in Arizona because Sanders could win the you know the electoral college and and lose Arizona. Um, so let's talk about. How his if he got nominated, uh, how it might impact uh, Arizona's upcoming election. And uh, it's funny, like looking back on 2018, um, there was a gubernatorial campaign. Democrat David Garcia, who was running as a progressive, running against Governor Doug Ducey. And there was a time when uh, Bernie Sanders endorsed David Garcia's campaign. And it was funny because both campaigns. Ducey's campaign and uh, David Garcia's campaign publicized it and sent out via mailers. They're both sending out Sanders endorsed Garcia. Um, Garcia thinking it would help him with the progressives and with turnout, and Ducey, you know, thinking that it would it would hurt Garcia in in Arizona. Uh, Ducey ended up winning in a landslide. Um, there's been a lot of talk about Democrats trying to take back control of the state legislature. Democrat Mark Kelly is up in the polls right now against Martha McSally. Would a Bernie Sanders nomination hurt uh, these Democrats in November? 
At this point, you would have to say probably it would, uh, although um, we are in such uncertain political times uh, that um, I, I don't discount the possibility um, that um, Arizona would feel the burn and, and other places in the country where that is regarded as highly unlikely. Um, I think the more likely scenario is uh, that Sanders would um, hurt the uh, Democratic Party, uh, not only in its prospects of capturing Arizona's Electoral College votes, but to a certain extent down ballot. Uh, the independents in Arizona, which are nearly a third of registered voters, in turnout they tend to be in the high 20% of people who actually uh, turn out, have tended to m tilt decisively to one party or the other based upon um, national issues and to stick with that tilt down ballot. The uh, independents tilted decisively towards Democrats in 2006 and 2008. They tilted decisively towards Republicans in 2010. In 2010, uh, Republicans developed a veto-proof margin in both the uh, House and the Senate. They, they had 20-plus um, votes in the Senate. They're now down to 17. They had 40-plus votes in the House. They're now down to 31. In 2018, the Democrats, I believe, had an anti-Trump reaction and tilted strongly towards uh, the Democrats. Uh, and I also think that there was a, not a never-Trump, but a don't, I don't like Trump Republican vote that abandoned uh, Martha McSally and helped contribute to uh, Kirsten Sinema's um, victory. Sanders might very well neutralize uh, that anti-Trump reaction by independence. And despite the talk of Arizona turning purple, uh, in 2018, uh, Republicans were still 40% of the turnout. And so I think that Democrats, in order to win, e even today, need to have both the independents tilt decisively their way and there being a large crossover vote, larger than usual crossover vote among Republicans. I think, and I think Trump generated both of those things an anti-Trump sentiment generated both of those things in 2018. I think Sanders on the on the ticket would certainly cause the I don't like Trump Republicans to to return home, uh, and I think it might neutralize the tilt towards Democrats um, among independents and might even tilt them the other way. So that could have a consequence uh, in terms of the state legislative races. We saw that in, in 2010 in, in particular. Um, I don't think it will have a down-ballot effect in the congressional races where you might truly expect it. 
mostly because in the swing um, congressional districts, uh, the Republicans aren't really fielding um, very good candidates. Um, so I think that the uh, three Democrats that currently occupy Arizona's swing districts um, would likely survive uh, even a tilt of independence towards Republicans uh, because the Republicans aren't really um, contesting those races with good candidates. Yeah, we talked a couple episodes ago about kind of demographic changes, and you kind of see those demographic changes in Arizona as, as being a little bit overblown from what the, um, you know, the voting history has been. Um, and I was, before Sanders got the nomination, I was, I was looking at the, you know, thinking about the McSally strategy, which seems like it's exactly identical to the strategy she had against cinema, which is painting Mark Kelly as a radical leftist Democrat um, and hugging close to, to Trump. And I was thinking to myself, it didn't work last time, and 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 cinema has governed and, and voted like a centrist. I mean, she's even gotten, <laughs> she's gotten um, cens almost censured by the radical left in in her party. So I was thinking, what, how could that? Why do they think that that would work again against someone who's presenting themselves as a centrist in the in the model of Kirsten Cinema? But you know, does that change now? If if all of a sudden, if Bernie, you know, takes the nomination, um, all of a sudden, you know, Kelly's got to support, you know, the the nominee of his party. He'll try to distinguish himself, um, and it seems like maybe that attack will start to become. I mean, if just like Republicans became the party of Trump, you know, is are we going to see the Democrats become the party of of Bernie? I do believe that Martha McSally lost the, the 2018 campaign more than uh, Kirsten Sinema won it. I think she made um, serious strategic errors. And I share you, your view that she's begun this campaign uh, by replicating those strategic errors. Um, assuming that Arizona doesn't feel the burn... Uh, it does create a grave difficulty uh, for Mark Kelly um, to explain that he supports the nominee of the Democratic Party but doesn't support much of anything that the <laughs> nominee of the Democratic Party is advocating. Uh, that's, that, that's a difficult tightrope to uh, negotiate. Um, I don't think you will see Kelly do with Sanders uh, what McSally did with Trump, um, which is to uh, uh, cling uh, tightly and uh, pledge undying uh, loyalty. He, he, will, he will have to, in some way, effectively communicate an independence. So it, it does make tying... If if Sanders is right now, I think it's a mistake her attacking Kelly for saying that he would support the Democratic nominee, even if it were Sanders. She needs desperately to reintroduce herself to Arizona, particularly here in Maricopa County, and she ought to be talking about herself, not about her opponent. If she's going to criticize her opponent, it should be for the fact that. Right now, in terms of policy, there's nothing to the guy. 
Um, he, you know, he doesn't tell you where he stands on Medicare for all. He doesn't tell you how he stands on a variety of things. Yeah. And, and that should be the, um, that would be the accurate critique. I mean, if, if Sanders becomes the nominee, however, uh, tying him to Sanders um, becomes uh, a more potent and fair attack. But you're talking about reintroducing yourself to Maricopa County. I mean, just, just last week, it was how are you reintroducing yourself is on stage with Donald Trump sort of calling the media hacks and... And attack, and, ad, and attack ads on, on Mark Kelly. And, and making... I mean, I just think, to me, I, I see Ducey and McSally on stage like at a Trump rally imitating their... their and it sounds... To me, it looks weak. It, it looks like they're... I mean... I'm not a Trump supporter, but um, it just looks like, I don't know, I just don't see that. If, if you think the strategy should be reintroducing yourself to Maricopa County, I don't see how that does the trick. You, it doesn't do the trick, but like Kelly uh, having to say that he will support the Democratic nominee, even if it's Sanders, uh, if... Uh, Trump is in town. McSally has to be on the stage uh, in support of him. But she controls her advertising message. And um, rather than reintroduce herself in her advertising strategy, she instantly went on the attack against Kelly um, with charges that currently um, don't ring true. He's yeah. not the same as Bernie Sanders. He's not the same as Nancy Pelosi. Um, and Sanders is not yet the nominee. So let's talk about uh, another potential hang-up here in Arizona, which is the Invest in Ed uh, ballot initiative that's in the works. Um, we don't know if it's going to make the ballot. Last time they spent millions of dollars, uh, you know, the Nas uh, NEA, National Education Association, you know, funding this initiative. So you assume that they would do the work and get the signatures necessary, even though it's a higher threshold. And this is a, um, an income tax hike, um, on wealthy earners, $250,000 for a single family, $500,000 for a, um, you know, for a, for a couple, um, I think it's a 3.5%, um, surcharge, on on those earnings to raise to raise money for education, um, and that's basically like a Bernie esque <laughs> tax. Um, and you know when it was, what I noticed last time is that many of the Democrats, you know, they they didn't full, they said we're supporting. Why do you support this income tax hike? I'm supporting it because. The teachers want it or they're or they're you know and i don't see how they do that now it's not you know and red for ed is gone basically it's it's the teachers unions initiative and it's a bernie sanders tax hike i i mean i'm not a i haven't been following this as long as you have but it just it just seems to me that it hurts their chances of getting this 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 tax pass if you know you have this entire national campaign against you know socialism basically um certainly if sanders is the nominee the issue of what the wealthy should pay to fund government will be at the heart of his campaign and and 
um, increasing taxes on the wealthy will be a central issue, and there will be a discussion as to what um, what tax treatment of the wealthy should be. Uh, I th I think that that can't help but hurt the chances for invest in ed. Um, the uh, importance of investment capital, uh, which comes from surplus funds, primarily by people who are affluent, in driving forward a private sector economy um, is vital. Uh, and uh, punitive taxes on the wealthy transfers that from the private sector to the public sector. And the wisdom of doing that will be sharply questioned if, San if Sanders is the nominee. Uh, if he's not the nominee, um, every other Democrat is proposing sharply higher taxes on the wealthy as well. Um, uh, so um, Sanders sort of makes it more potent as an issue, but I think it's an issue uh, irrespective. And, and if you're increasing taxes on the wealthy at the federal level and you're also increasing it on the um, state level, the, the question of um, how wise and successful a policy that will be um, becomes into sharper focus. Absent that, then, then you, you have the argument that it's bad for the state. Uh, and uh, will reduce economic growth in, in the state. Uh, that's a, I, ha I happen to think that is correct, uh, but that's a more difficult case to make than if you have this broader discussion about whether we should be slamming the wealthy with higher taxes. I want to get really uh, quickly to what you think is the most important bill running through the session right now. But um, have you heard anything about any other possibilities for, a, you know, a, a combo uh, tax plan or, or other funding plan other than the than the um, sales tax hike coming out of the legislature? Uh, I have uh, not, but I've not. Uh, I know Helios was I, considering something for a while, but I haven't heard anything well, about Well, in various business groups have um, contemplated things in the past. I've not uh, put my ear to the ground on, on that subject for several months now. Um, and uh, I, I find it, I, mean, I, I think business community advocates uh, who would like to see a higher consumption tax for K through 12 education probably have run out of time to develop something and get it qualified for uh, the ballot. Um, so the only alternative that that probably um, still has a chance to make it would be the increase in the sales tax dedicated to education from six tenths of a cent to uh, one cent. Um, I think that since Democrats are unlikely to support that in deference to invest in ed and um, an income tax hike on the wealthy, which they tend to favor as a matter of policy, uh, I got to believe, I, I can't believe that you would get 
um, virtually all the Republicans in the Senate and the House to agree to put that on the ballot. Right. And my guess is, I think that it may very well be that Governor Doug Ducey will l largely influence that decision as to whether to refer something else. And my guess is that he would prefer a straight-up fight against Invest in Ed um, rather than um, put an alternative tax increase, which he's vowed to oppose anyway, on the ballot. So my guess is Invest in Ed will be the only thing on the ballot that would increase taxes in Arizona and dedicate the funds for education. All righty. So last uh, segment here is what is this bill that would, you think, change the trajectory uh, of Arizona more than any other in a positive way? And um, why is it so important? And, and what is its likelihood of, of passing this session? Uh, the bill would do something which I have long advocated, uh, which is to allow community colleges to offer four-year degrees. Um, and it does it in the way that I have also uh, long advocated, and as best I know, first proposed, uh, which is simply lift uh, the current restriction on the community colleges to only offering two-year degrees that's in statute, and let the community college systems themselves uh, decide whether there's a market for them getting into the four-year degree business, um, how they would go about uh, achieving accreditation, and how they would pay for it. Uh, a bill doing exactly that uh, passed the House Education Committee uh, last week. The reason why it is so important is that Arizona's public higher education options are limited to research universities. We have three, uni three research universities in the state, um, and uh, those are important and valuable assets, but research universities are the most expensive model for delivering higher education uh, that exists. Uh, and not only is it more expensive, it, not all students, in fact, a majority of students, don't really benefit from the extra educational opportunities that a research university offers. If you look at California, you get a good point of comparison. California has a uh, great network of research universities like the University of California at Los Angeles, but it also has a robust network of state colleges like Cal State Fullerton. Um, and, and so you've, you, you've got the research university opportunities, you've got the lower cost, um, less um, research-oriented state colleges. So this is a proposal that would allow the community colleges, we've got a, we've got a great array of community colleges in, in the state with excellent facilities, um, to, in essence, organically evolve into providing the state college alternative uh, to um, the research universities. Uh, the question has always been, can they do that? And what was really encouraging about the testimony on this bill uh, is that um, two rural community college systems wanted the option, and... Maricopa Community College said that it could offer four-year degrees without increasing tuition or property tax rates. Those are the two sources of 
revenue that the community college systems control themselves. Um, that would vastly expand, particularly here in Maricopa County, access to higher education at a much lower cost. Uh, the cost, four years at a community college costs less than one year at a research university uh, in Arizona. Um, and uh, that would truly be a transformative change in terms of uh, access uh, to higher education uh, for people who can't afford the research university experience or who won't really particularly benefit from the research yeah. university experience. And just, I mean, I'm not sure if, how much the demand would be, but anecdotally, a lot of my students that I've taught uh, – will say that, you know, what, what are your plans after high school? They'll say, I'm going to go to a community college for two years, and then I'm going to transfer to a to a university to finish my degree. I don't know the stats on how many, you know, students start out at community college, and then it's a barrier to them transferring to the, to the university degree. Uh, but uh, I do think that um, students that I know would be excited about the, the possibility for getting a for getting a four-year degree. Well, in addition to in, in increasing completion rates, I think you would dramatically increase um, the small percent, the relatively small percentage of high school graduates in Arizona that go on to college at all. Um, if it, if it, if you knew you could go to the community college, which is a less intimidating environment, and get a four-year degree there um, at a reasonable price. I mean, at, at community college rates, kids could go back to working their way through college. That, that would be a realistic option. Um, I mean, right now, the way we're trying to, to solve the um, kids not going on at all problem is outreach by the research universities and uh, a lot of financial assistance. Well, far better to give them a more, a less intimidating environment uh, and the ability to work their way uh, through college and um, not incur debt or not be, not have to compete for um, relatively scarce scholarship dollars in Arizona. So one thing that surprised me reading your column about this is that... Um the Democrats in the committee did not support it. There was um, one person, uh, I believe Re uh, Representative Bolding, that voted present or or passed on on voting no, but the other ones voted no. Uh, what is the? I mean, what's the pitch to them? What 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 else do you need besides the just the things we've just said about why this is a good idea? Democrats ought to embrace this proposal and champion it. I think that the groundwork wasn't laid with them. Uh, there ought to be Democratic co-sponsors of this. Um, but you asked about its prospects. Uh, I think it needs to achieve strong bipartisan support in order to actually get through the legislature. Uh, the research universities are opposed to it. And even though they talk a good game about alternatives, I think when push comes to shove, they're always going to defend the 
uh, oligopoly that they have on higher education in the state. Um, if it is a Republican-only initiative, uh, then the research universities only need to pick off one Republican in the House, two Republicans in the Senate, and the bill doesn't pass. Uh, and I certainly think they're more than capable of achieving that. So if the research university opposition is going to be overcome, in my judgment, it has to be uh, a bipartisan effort. It's got to have strong Democratic support. Uh, it was unfortunate that the groundwork wasn't laid for that in advance before it proceeding. Uh, but um, I do believe that there's nothing that this legislature will consider uh, that will do more for both students in the state. Uh, and uh, if the community colleges are saying they think they can pull this thing off, it would be just a travesty not to yeah. give them the chance to do it. Yeah. Well, before we sign off here, just need to get a shout out to the Phoenix Suns for I think one of their best games of the year uh, yesterday against the Utah Jazz playoff team, beat them by 20 points. Uh, it's good to have everyone healthy and uh, just a fun game to watch. Your your pessimism about the playoffs was more true than my optimism, uh, but I still feel optimism towards at least how the team's coming together and how they look and and their potential uh, when they're when they got their my, game together. My, my fear is that they're coming together too late, um, but I agree that that uh, two of their three um, post uh, All Star break games have been uh, strong, particularly the one uh, against Utah, uh, and it appears as though. Um, the, the that they are settling on mostly settling on a rotation. Mostly, <laughs> you, you 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 still have the point guard yeah. issue, but but certainly I think um, Von Carter is making a a case for himself. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he holds the ball too long on offense, but uh, his energy um, just at this point eclipses. Uh, in his defense, um, what the other potential replacements are. Um, but their bench looked very solid. And congratulations to Devin Booker, uh, first all-star from Phoenix since Steve Nash, and I think 20. Lordy. <laughs> Lordy. <laughs> I don't even. Steve Nash was our last all-star, so that tells you, tell you something. But uh, keep up the good work, uh, sons, and Congratulations, Devin Booker, and thanks, everyone, for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. You can find us uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks.